John chapter number 10. When you find your place, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And Lord willing, we're going to finish John chapter 10 today. We've been in the book of John. We've been in the book of John. Now, listen to me. I, I don't want to. I don't want to go off like a smart aleck. Some people this ain't for them. I, I understand that. We had a family that was visiting here for a while, and they finally they, they didn't come back, and they said this. They said uh, that that whole that wow, you're yelling when you preach, and you just get so red faced when you preach, and all that kind of stuff. And and I and I when he first said yelling, I thought he was talking about shouting. He said, Oh no, that, that, that ain't too bad. I, that didn't bother me. He said, that, that, you preach. Well, you like you're mad at something when you preach. And uh, he said, I just want some, some. And I said, some soft-spoken somebody. I said, that's fine. That's fine. That's everybody eats their own. But this is who we are, okay? And I'm not apologizing that, but I don't want to be smart about that. Some people just it don't. And I ain't trying to get nobody to act like me. I promise you that. We don't need the world does not need another Will Allen. I promise you that. Amen. John chapter 10, verse 31, the Bible says this. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. What about that? Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemous, because I said I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him. But he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle all things that John spoke of this man were true. And many believed on him there. Will you help us pray, Father? Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for meeting with us, not just here. Thank you for meeting with us early this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for meeting with us here. Thank you for being able to gather ourselves together, sing songs about you and to you, then to open the Word of God and to read it. Thank you, Lord, for letting us read the Bible and have a copy of the Bible. Lord, I pray, Lord, you put this deep in my soul. God, I pray I'd be able to, to preach what you've put in me out of your Word, oh, from these verses. I pray, God, you'd encourage those that need encourage, and I pray, God, you'd uh, afflict those that need to be afflicted and comfort those that need to be comforted. Father, I pray, God, you'd help us now. Preach thus saith the word. And God, help us get out of the way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Real quickly, have you ever been to a place, been in a place in your life where you felt like the enemy was right on your heels? And the enemy could be, we could talk about Satan, the enemy of Satan. We could talk about the enemy of ourselves. We could talk about the enemy of other people maybe around us, but 
But that is where we're at in the text that we have read to you this morning. The enemies are on the heel of the Savior. Uh, he had they had just asked him previously in verse number 24, if thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us if you are uh, plainly. Tell us if you're the Christ. And he tells them again that he is the Christ. He tells them about the grip of grace and how that those that believe on him are put in the grip, his grip and the Father's grip. And then he said in verse number 30, very plainly, I and my Father are one. They ask him to, uh, they ask him to tell them plainly, and so he tells them plainly. But listen, uh, that these men had rejected Christ, and it seemed as if it didn't matter what he said or what he did, it was not going to change. They had rejected him. And he says plainly, I and my Father are one. And look at their response. You know what their response reminds me of? A little child. A little child that gets mad at somebody. You know what a little child will do? He'll pick up something and throw it at him. And verse number 31 says, it says, uh, uh, And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. I thought about that, how they uh, got mad at him. And so what are they going to do? They're going to pick up stones and they're going to stone him. Of course, we understand this was not just throwing something at them in anger. They want to kill him. They, wanna, they want him dead. And, and man, we, we get like that a lot of times. We get mad at something, so we start throwing something. You may not throw a literal stone at somebody, but we sling a lot of mud uh, as adults. When we get mad at somebody, we'll sling a lot of mud and we'll say a lot of things that we should not say, all because it doesn't go our way. And that's what these Pharisees, these Pharisees knew. If he is the Messiah, if he is the Christ, you know what's going to happen? We're going to lose our control. If he is the one we've been waiting on, we're going to lose all this, uh, this control and power and prestige that we have, and he's going to get all of it because that's what the Messiah is going to do. And so they're mad at him. They start slinging. I'm all about this. These men are unkind. They're not nice, but they're also ungrateful. Look at everything that he had done in their midst, and yet their thanks to him is, let's pick up rocks and throw it at him. They're not only that, they're unreasonable. You get upset with somebody too long or you get upset with some things too long and you will be unreasonable. Nobody's going to be able to reason with you. Nobody's going to make you think about it logically. They'll be unreasonable. They were unreasonable. I'll tell you this, they were unholy. They were unholy in what they were trying to do. They were trying to kill the Son of God. And then, of course, they were unruly. They were going against what they even had power to do. And so, again, and I'll tell you what will happen is you let evil thoughts pervade your mind. You let evil thoughts uh, about yourself or about others or whatever, uh, you let that pervade your mind and you'll be unruly and you'll be un, uh, unkind and you'll be unreasonable and you'll be unholy. And uh, listen, you will be the same uh, thing that they are. Uh, but listen, what we've got to do is we've got to be on guard. Uh, we've got to be on guard. The enemy is trying his best to sow uh, discouragement in your life. He's trying to, uh, destroy, to sow discord in your life. He is trying... Uh, to sow things, thoughts of evil about yourself, about other people. He is trying to sow that in your life. And I'll tell you what, what, he is not just doing it every now and then. He is consistently attacking you. I noticed the word in verse 31 says, then the Jews took the stones again. And then in verse number 39, therefore they sought again to take him. 
It reminds me that the cruelty of the enemy was not, uh, it was cruel, but it was consistent. He's constantly coming at you. And your enemy is a constant enemy. He's not giving up. He's not just going to lay down and stop. Uh, he is going to continue on, and you have got to be on guard at all times. The problem with many Christians, they fall because they've let their guard down. And the enemy ain't stopping. The enemy's not slowing down. He is trying his best again to show that discord and that discouragement and uh, all the other things he's trying to throw at us. And so what do we do when the enemy does that? Well, how do I handle the times of discouragement? How do I handle the times where the enemy is planting seeds of doubt or even uh, things of evilness, evil thoughts in my mind? And again, and that enemy is not just Satan. Matter of fact, many of us are not spiritual enough to have Satan on our trail. Just to be honest with you, you know who, who enemy number one is for Will Allen? Will Allen, amen. You know who enemy number one is for you? You. You are your worst enemy. And listen, we do things not because the devil made me do it. We didn't do things because my sister or my brother or my mom or my daddy or my wife or my husband made me do it. We do things because we made us do it. We are our number one enemy. So what do I do, though, when the enemy, whoever that is, of course, Satan is a real enemy. The world is a real enemy for the believer. And what do we do when the believer or when, when, the, when the enemy is coming at us? What do we do? And I think we can see real quickly this morning in this text what Jesus did and, and what he did I think we ought to do. Now, I just, I say, I, I, can, I, can, I, can I see if y'all on board with me? Would you say that Jesus is the greatest example that has ever lived? Would you agree with that statement? Would you agree that we ought to pattern our life like Jesus more than anybody else? I mean, thank God for good influences and good examples in your life, but nobody, nobody ought to come close to the example that Jesus is for us, and he teaches us how to live. And so if you'll do things like Jesus does them, you'll be all right. And so I want to see what Jesus does when discouragement is in his way or when doubt was in his way or when the enemy is coming after him, and you figure out your own title for the message, all right? And so what does he do? First of all, I see this in verse 32. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? He's a legitimate question. He's got a legitimate question. He's done many good things around them. He's done many things that have helped their people. He has healed the sick. He has raised up the dead. He has done things that have been a help for the community and help to the society. And so he asked the good question, which one of those have brought the death penalty on me? You want to kill me? Well, which one of the things I've done, what, thing, what good thing have I done to cause me to uh, have to be executed in your eyes? And I'll tell you what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to bring the wickedness of their heart to light. He's trying to expose the wickedness of their heart, not to embarrass them. God's not trying to embarrass them in front of the crowd. You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to work repentance in their life. See, God, Jesus wants these men to get right. Jesus wants these men to repent. He comes that, he's willing that, all, that none should perish, that all would come to repentance. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to let them realize how wicked their hearts are. You realize you'll never come to Christ for salvation until you see how wicked your heart is. As long as you think you've got an ounce of goodness in you, you're not saved. Are you listening? You know, my wife lived a life for 17 years lost. It's because that, that, that jack-legged preacher asked her, you want to be on the good angel side or the bad angel side? What six-year-old's going to say the bad angel side? Good angel side. Duh. So what they say? They say, woo, she just got saved. Let's baptize her. 
For 17 years, she's lost. 17 years, she's on her way to hell. All the outside looked fine. Everything on the outside looked right. But I'm telling you, it's because she thought she had an ounce of goodness in her. Because she thought she was good enough to choose the good angel side. And listen, if you think you've got an ounce of goodness in you, you, you cannot be saved. And so what he's doing, he's trying to bring their wickedness up to their hearts to see how wicked. And he's always saying, what good thing have I done to make you want to kill me? He's trying to lead them to repentance. The only way a person is ever going to be brought to repentance is he must first be brought to the recognition of how evil he is. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the error they were in, so their answer in verse number 32, or verse 33 follows this. The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God. They say this, this is not about the works you've done. They don't realize how wrong they are. They don't realize how sinful they are. Instead, they come and make an evil accusation on him. You're a blasphemer. See, the blaspheme, that they, 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 they could not accept Christ's claim to be God even though not only has he plainly said it, he has plainly shown that he's God. He's done things that only God can do. And they knew that. And so they said, no, we're doing, we're, we want to kill you because of blasphemy, even though Christ had proven over and over again by his words and by his works that he is God I'm not going to deal with verses 34 through 38 in detail. There is a lot there. I may come back on a Sunday night or Wednesday night and deal with what this is actually, dig into what this is talking about. But let me just give you the, the cliff note version, if I will, uh, if I can. In verse 34 through 38, Jesus responds to them, and he says that in is it not written in your law? And so he goes back to the Old Testament. Matter of fact, he quotes Psalm 82. You can go search it out for yourself. Psalm 82 is what he quotes, and he says, he quotes verse number, uh, Psalm 82 and verse number 6, when he says, I said, ye are gods. And he asked the question, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. He says this, if they call them. So what's he talking about here? Why is he bringing this up? And, and wait a minute, did God call men gods? In the Old Testament, well, just again real quickly, say this, the text and other texts in the Old Testament referred to men who were appointed to judge the land of Israel in the stead of God. Sometimes they would refer to them as little g gods. Now this was not to deify man. This was not to say that man was a God, supreme being, or that he would ever become a God like not only the Mormons teach, but the New Age people you watch on CBS and TBN and most of the other stuff you see on television that calls themselves Christian and even a lot of radio you hear, uh, they believe the same thing. You keep putting that trash in your mind. Uh, listen to them. They believe, somebody said, uh, and you don't, may not know who this thing is, but Stephen Burdick, a heretic, uh, he said something uh, not too long ago about him being God Almighty. And somebody said, I can't believe he said that. I can't. Them New Agers believe they can become God. Amen. But this, this, this Bible's not teaching you can become God. It doesn't teach that man becomes God. You're not no God. You're never going to be a Now, some may act like they are, but you're not God, nobody else. But what he is saying, what it was saying here is those judges in Israel, remember, they didn't have a Bible, they didn't have a written word. And so when they judged, they were judging in the place of God. They were judging what God, and they were supposed to judge righteously. They were supposed to judge justly. But guess what? 
They didn't. And so you go back and read Psalm 82 and you find out the God of heaven, the big G God, Jehovah God, he comes down and judges them because they don't judge righteously. And he gets rid of them. And so, but the point Jesus is making here is this, that these men, these mortal men who even in Psalm 82, God says are going to die like men. If y'all are okay with them called little G gods, why are you making such a big deal for me who is sent from God, who has the authority of God to claim myself as the son of God? What's the big deal? I'm going to say this, and I've got to hurry here, but this is point number one. What does, what does God do? What does Christ do when the enemy's about to kill him, when the enemy's coming on him? Number one, he goes to the Bible. We see here his endorsement of the sanctity of Scripture. Notice what he says in verse 35. Is it not written, or verse 35, if you call them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the Scripture cannot be broken. He's saying this, what was right back then in the Scripture is still right today. He is putting his endorsement, he is putting his stamp of approval on the word of God. And may I just say down through the sin Many people have tried to break the scriptures, but they have all failed in vain. That Roman emperor Diocletian, he tried to stamp out the Bible and the people of the book, but Diocletian's in his grave and the Bible still stands. Voltaire, that French philosopher, held a Bible up and said, one day there'll be no more Bibles in the land. They'll, I'll get rid of every Bible. I'll take the Bible to the morgue. And it wasn't long after that, oh, Voltaire was in the grave and the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and the house of that blasphemer they was printing and publishing and distributing Bibles out of it. My friend Voltaire's dead, Diocletian's dead, but the Bible's still alive. Communists have tried to teach our young people that they can't don't trust the Bible but trust some Darwin or some other fruit or Sigmund or somebody else, some philosopher or scientist that they claim to be smart uh, some Stephen Hawkins or, or Bill Gates or Bill Nye too. Uh, they'll say you can trust what they say, uh, but don't trust the Bible. Uh, the communists have tried to take the Word of God uh, out of this society, and they want to take it out of your hands, uh, but the Word of God still stands. Uh, the Roman church has tried to take it out of the people's hands. Uh, just listen to what a priest says. Uh, just listen to what somebody says about it. Uh, you don't need a copy for yourself, uh, but the Word of God still stands of the scripture cannot be broken this morning but I got a question what about with you what about with you is the scripture broken in your life in, in your heart is the scripture broken you claim to believe the scriptures with your lip but your life speaks something different are, are the scriptures broken in your heart because you really don't adhere to them because you really don't know what they say? You don't ever read it. You don't ever listen to it be read. The only time you hear it be read is maybe at church. And when you, if you do read it or you do hear it be read to you, you don't apply it to your life because you think you've got it figured out better than God does. Because maybe somebody taught you some good moral things from American uh, society and you think that's good. Or maybe somebody taught you some good things that are moral things but they're not lined up with the Bible. And you think that's better than what God says. 
You know what? The scripture's broken in your life. You know what you need when the enemy comes at you? You need a Bible. You know what you need when the enemy's trying to kill you? You need a Bible. You need the eternal word of God. When Jesus looked at those disciples in John chapter 6, he said, will you also go away? Peter looked at him and said, where should we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter says this, nobody else's words are like your words. Nobody else's speech is like your speech. Everybody else's rule book and everybody else's way of life book doesn't match up. Your word is the words of eternal life. Hey, listen to me, men. Listen to me, women. In the congregation, what you need when the enemy's on your track is the Bible this morning. We're supposed to be people of the book. Matthew chapter 4, the devil's got Jesus in the wilderness tempting him. And every single time, Jesus didn't say, well, I heard this from my grandpappy, or I heard this from my aunt, or I heard this from my uncle, or I heard this from a preacher. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written, written. Jesus had the word of God when the enemy came at him. You need a Bible. I ask you something, do you follow? Do you spend your time and follow learning about all kinds of other things, maybe even good things, but you never spend time learning the scriptures? You never spend time in the Bible? Here's what he's saying, here's, here's what he says. The word can't be broken. The scripture ain't gonna be broken. I find many people, it's broken in their lives. And the reason the enemy gets them, the reason they don't escape the temptations of Satan, the temptations of the flesh, they're drawn away of their lust into sin because they don't have a Bible. Oh, they got one on the car, the dash of the car, looking all spiritual, letting it get faded and curled up and dusted up. That don't look spiritual at all. That looks, that looks like you're a sorry kind of something. I ain't looked at the parking lot one. I hadn't looked at the parking lot one. And if I go out there and look at them, I, will, I ain't pointing this at nobody except you if you got it done in your house. That's a shame and a disgrace to let a Bible ruin in the dash of your car. That does not look spiritual. I ain't heard preaching on that in a long time, so I thought I'd throw that in there, okay? God help the way we treat a Bible. It's broken in our hearts. Is it broken in your heart? Is it broken in your life? Because you say, oh, I'm a King James. I, I ain't going to no church, ain't no King James, but boy, you live an NIV life. Your life looks more like an ESV. Your life looks like all them Bibles that take out sin. Where are we at today? You wonder why the enemy's got such grasp on you? You know why you got, the enemy's got such hold on you? Because you ain't letting the Bible be real in your life. You need a Bible. Go on to say this. He, he answers them. Of course, what he's saying here is this. He's just saying again. If uh, the point he's saying, you call these lesser men gods, why is it blasphemy to call a greater person, Jesus Christ? Why is, it, why, why is it such a big deal calling me the Son of God? You've seen what I've done. Then he goes on and, and he goes on to say this. If you don't even believe me, believe the works that I've done. Look what I've done. Verse 39, this is their response. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. They demanded him to speak plainly, and he did. He spoke plainly. And they took up stones to throw at him, but they couldn't throw it. And now they're going to arrest him and try to arraign him before the Sanhedrin court and try to get him the capital charge of death by crucifixion because of blasphemy. But they couldn't touch him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. It wasn't time for him to die. Let me, let me say this. 
What do I do when the enemy's trying to kill me? Got a Bible? But what else does Jesus do? Look in verse 40. And went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John had first baptized. And there he abode. What do you do when, when no matter what right things you do, nobody understands? And it seems the more you try to explain, the angrier people get. What do you do? You know what Jesus did? He went away beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized him. There he was. He said, well, okay, great. What does that mean? Jesus went to a place that meant something special to him. If this is the place where John at first is baptizing, guess what else this is? This is the place where Jesus was baptized. You say, well, what's so special about that? Well, Jesus went to the place where the Holy Spirit, like a dove, came down and rested on him. He went to the place where the Father thundered out from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is where, and this is where the ministry of Jesus starts. Now, we understand this. His baptism is not our baptism, right? He did not get saved and baptized to identify himself with his own self, right? right? And so I'm not, I'm not preaching about our baptismal place. And maybe that's a place for you, but I'm going to ask you that. Do you have any special places in your life? You got any special places like that? Now I think about special places, and I think about the places me and my wife, we go see her parents and stuff. We go down Highway 27 through uh, uh, Polk County, through Cedar Town, and then get into the Buck Cannon. Right before you get from, to Buck Cannon, there's a little community called Felton. And that, and that valley down in there, there's a little bitty white church there. And, that, and all the time, we, we'll pass that road, and we'll tell the kids, hey, hey, down there is where I met your mama. Sometimes we'll pull down them roads and get down on that back, and we'll park in that parlor and say, this is the church I met your mama at. On a Tuesday night in July of 2008, where I met your mama at. We'll, we'll be at her parents' house and her, her family's house, and there's some big oak trees right by the pond and stuff like that. And we'll, sometimes we'll be riding through there, and I'll say, right there's where I asked your mama to marry me. It's a special place. If we ever get down to Villarica, we'll go by the Utopia Baptist Church. We'll say, right there's where we got married. We rode the other day. The other day, I just, it was just me and Nolan and Maggie, and I said, hey, Nolan, you can go see the house I brought, we brought you home from the hospital in, we, that house we used to have, and we rode down there, and I, I said, that right there is where we brought you home from the hospital in. means something special. But this is bigger than that. And what I'm talking about this morning is bigger than all that. You got all them special places, but do you have a place, you got a place where God saved you? I don't have a date. I don't know my date, but I got a place. Some of y'all can quote the address. I took some of you by there and pointed at the house. While they was when they was doing reconstruction on it, I still knew who owned it, and it wouldn't be weird and I wouldn't get locked up. I took Nolan over there one time and lifted him up and let him look inside the window. I said, in that room right there, that's where I got saved. That's a special place to me. You got a place where the Spirit of God got a hold of your life? Talking about being filled with the Spirit of God, the day where you yielded yourself fully to the Lord and whatever He wanted for your life. You got a place like that? I thought about when that Holy Spirit of God uh, rested on Jesus. I know He is God. I know that. But I thought, man, I thought about that time in my life as a 14-year-old boy in Black Mountain, North Carolina, and we was there at that camp. And I could, if I don't know if any, if the camp is still arranged the way it is, but I can take you if that, if that building sits where it used to sit, I can take you the place in that building where I yielded myself fully to the Spirit of God. Where I said, Lord, whatever you want out of my life, I want it. 
Wherever you want to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours. I'm your, I yielded myself completely to him. That was a special place in my life. My mama sold the house and got saved, and I may not ever get to go back there. I hadn't been back to that campground uh, in North Carolina since I was at 14 years old when I did that. But I'm telling you in my mind, uh, I can go back to that place. And I can think about when God filled me with his spirit uh, to serve him. Hey, what about the time in your life where God says, hey, I'm pleased with what you're doing. I want you to do this with your life. And this is the will of God for your life. This is what I want you to do and how I want you to do it. Do you have a place where God showed you his will and he told you this is what you want to do? And he says, this is approved. This is approved by God. Everybody else may disapprove of it. Everybody else may want to kill you because of it, but you are my beloved son. I'm well pleased with what you're doing. I, I can take you to some places. I can take you to that same church I met my wife. And that's where God got to hold my heart, in the back side of the choir loft. When God says, I want you to preach. This is what I formed you to do. And I'm well pleased whether anybody else is pleased with it or not. I can think of the time God called me here and told me this is where I'm supposed to be. I can tell you the times and places in my life where God told me this is where I'm supposed to stay. This is where I'm supposed to be. Listen to me. If you ain't got places like that, child of God, you ought to get some. Amen. If you don't have a place, if you don't have a place where you got saved, I don't mean you got to know the address. I don't mean that at all. But I can hear, I can hear every time I go down McDaniel Station, Miss Betty, I go down there towards Salem. I can hear Brother James saying, I, they've tore the building down. But I could take you almost to the spot on the property. And every time I look over that property where the old Salem Baptist Church used to be, and I wonder, I was like, I wonder what spot that was. I wonder whereabouts on that ground it was where old Brother James Justice got born again. <laughs> I got up on that hill and got to that new church. I was riding over there the other day. Me and Brother Jason Chambers riding through there. I, and he was talking about something. I said, hey, hey, I don't want to interrupt you. I said, but somewhere on that property, Brother James Justice got saved. <laughs> he said, really? I said, yeah. I said, I can hear him now. He said, the church ain't there no more, but I can take you to that place. And you might not can go to that place, and you might not remember the address, but if you ain't got a place, a time in your life where you know that you got saved, you know that you cast yourself fully on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, today could be the day, and this could be the place. And you that are saved, you don't have a place where you yielded yourself fully to the Lord and said, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want, whatever, whenever, however, wherever, I'm yours. I'm yielding myself fully to you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's yielding yourself completely to Him and His will for your life or whatever. And it's before even sometimes, most of the time, for me it was anyway, it's before I even knew what His will was. Just, I'm yours, Lord. If you don't have a place like that, today could be a place. You got a place maybe where you got the directions from God. This is what I want you to do. This could be your place. I'm telling you, if you do have those places, maybe you hadn't visited them in a while, and I don't mean physically, I mean mentally. You've not, or in your heart, in your mind, you hadn't visited those places in a long time. It might be why you're so cold. It might be why the enemy's got his grasp on you because you've not visited those places in too long. You know what Jesus does when the enemy, I mean, they're about to kill him. He escapes. Matter of fact, this is December. He escaped. He don't go back to Jerusalem until April. He goes and stays three or four months away. And when he goes back to Jerusalem in April, guess what that is? What's going to happen at the middle of that week? He's going to die. John chapter 12. We'll get there eventually. He gets back to Jerusalem. and he, That's the week they call his Passion Week. That's the week he dies is when he goes back. 
You know what else? He goes visits a place that means something to him. You know what you need when the enemy comes at you? Number one, you need a Bible. Number two, you need a place. Number three, here's what happens. Verse number 41. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle. I could talk more about the Bible there. Some of y'all looking for a miracle. You realize your Bible has a whole lot less miracle than it does message in it? I wrote some things down. Miracles got Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness and into Canaan, but then they stopped. Miracles were in the days of Elijah and Elisha when they were protesting the apostasy in Israel and Judah, but then they stopped. Miracles kind of showed up in the days of Daniel during that transition time frame, but then it stopped. Miracles were day, then the days of Jesus, but then they stopped. Miracles are going to come back again right after the rapture, but then they're going to stop. But you know what doesn't stop? This word. This word. Guess what? When, when Israel finally gets through that, all the miracles happen to get them in the wilderness on their way to Canaan, guess what happens? God gives them the word. The first five books of the Bible. <laughs> Amen. As a matter of fact, those miracles carry them through the first five books and Psalms and Proverbs and those, those we don't find no more miracles until we get over there close to the Babylonian times. And we got a bunch of word, much of message. And go, but but here you need a Bible. You need a place. But notice what it says. John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. These people, these people remembered the preacher. And they remembered his preaching. They remembered John the Baptist. You, you know what Herod said about Jesus when he heard Jesus preaching? He thought he was John the Baptist come back from the dead. I, I just think maybe Jesus got down there beyond the Jordan where John first baptized and he got to thinking about that day, that play, what happened in that place for him. Well, that was the day God started the ministry. It's where God said, go right now, go. Been 30 years in the shadows. Nobody knows what was going on with Jesus from, from, from 12 to 8. I mean, from 12 to 30, nobody knows what's going on. With his life, he's in the shadows, and all of a sudden God puts him on the scene. And he thinks about that day that, that, that the Holy Spirit came like a dove, and he, he thought about that day God thundered from heaven and what he'd done for him. And he thought, but then he got to thinking about John. He started thinking about what John preached. And then people started reminiscing about what John preached. And he said this, what he said was true. You know what you need, and I know I am the preacher, but I'm going to preach it anyway. You know what you need when the enemy's coming after you? Number one, you need a Bible. You need a place. But you need a preacher. I'm going to tell you what's gotten me through some dark days of my life is remembering what the man of God preached. Remembering whether it was my pastor or somebody else coming down through the road, maybe it was somebody I listened to on the internet, maybe somebody that I listened to that's already dead and gone that I never got to meet or something like that. But I'm telling you there's some days where it gets me through just to remember what the preacher was preaching. I can tell you about some time or maybe, maybe they were preaching in the pulpit but someone was preaching them just to me. Well, I can take you about some time. I can take some time sitting on this pew right here. Brother Sammy coming in here on one of them off nights or something like that or during one of our meetings and him just preaching, just me and him, him just preaching to me. I can remember a couple of times up in the fellowship hall, whether it be one of our special meetings or something like that, it was one of our eating meetings anyway, we'd be up there and after everybody's gone, it'd be just me and Brother Sammy and he'd just preach to me, just talking to me. 
I can think about times where, where they, they said some things that at the time didn't make a lot of sense or maybe I didn't understand what they were talking about but all of a sudden I got down the road and the enemy was on my heels and the enemy was about to take me out and I got to thinking about oh wait a minute I remember what the preacher said I remember the preaching that he was preaching I remember what he was saying all things that John spoke of this man were true you need a Bible you need a place and you need a preacher that'll preach truth if you're going to get through when the enemy's trying to kill you Jesus had been rejected in Jerusalem again really for the last time again he goes back and he's going to the cross but he went down to a place went down to a place they had a Bible John did no miracle they had a place they had a preacher and look what happens in verse number 42 and many believed on him there things changed now I've, I've, I've preached my heart this morning I don't know anything at all going on with anybody but I do know the Holy Spirit of God bounced these words off of the pages to me this week and if this don't help nobody in this room but me I guess that's the way God wants it but I'm telling you there are some the enemy you say, how do you know? Because he comes after me. And I, and I, Brother Yearwood, you can, you can attest to this. When you pastor people, you don't just face your own devils. You face theirs too. Very rarely, very rarely. She don't even know it a lot of times. But very rarely do I stay up at night fighting my demons. I'm telling you, I toss and turn a lot of times thinking about what's going on with your lives. How things are going in your life, things you share with me, things you don't share with me, things that I can just see. And so I know the enemy will come up, crawl up in your mind and discourage you or plant discord with you or plant, plant that kind of, that he tried to distract you. Because he does it with me. And we're made out of the same flesh. But the only way you're going to get through it tonight, this morning, is have a Bible. Do you have a Bible? Do you believe it? Do you read it? Do you have a relationship with that Bible? You better get one. Do you have a place? Number one, that you got saved. Number two, that you got filled with the Spirit of God. You yielded yourself to the will of God for your life. That God showed you what His will was for your life. And are there some messages? You got to be the preacher and I preach. It ain't about me. This is about preaching in general. There's some messages got you through. God's made some big places in your heart from some messages that was preached. You need a preacher. You need a place, but you need a Bible. I felt like I've done what the Lord told me to do. You do business with God. Maybe you've got discouragement. Maybe you've got something going on in your life. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to pray and ask the Lord to help you. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here this morning don't know the Lord. You're not saved, lost. You need to be saved. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how to be saved. We'd love to take a Bible and tell you what it, show you from the Bible how you can know that you're saved. Maybe you've never yielded yourself to the Spirit of God. You have never yielded yourself completely to whatever the Lord wants out of your life. 
This is not just for young people. This is for every person in this room, no matter where you're at in your stage of life. You've never yielded yourself completely to the Lord for service. Maybe, maybe you don't know the will of God for your life. Maybe you've yielded to Him, but you've surrendered yourself to Him, but you want to know more clearly what is it He wants you to do. Don't get it backwards. You're going to have to yield to Him first before He shows you what exactly He wants you to do. Maybe you're there.